Hi, I'm Steve Thompson. Yesterday, Bezalel and Oholiab and the whole work crew jumped into the work of constructing the tabernacle. Specifically, they began with the framework and curtain work. Today, we'll find out if they were obedient with the construction of the furnishings. Let's read Exodus chapter 37. Next, Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia wood, a sacred chest 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He overlaid it inside and outside with pure gold, and he ran a molding of gold all around it. He cast four gold rings and attached them to its four feet, two rings on each side. Then he made poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He inserted the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. Then he made the ark's cover, the place of atonement, from pure gold. It was 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. He made two cherubim from hammered gold and placed them on the two ends of the atonement cover. He molded the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all of one piece of gold. The cherubim faced each other and looked down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they protected it. Then Bezalel made the table of acacia wood, 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He overlaid it with pure gold and ran a gold molding around the edge. He decorated it with a three-inch border all around, and he ran a gold molding along the border. Then he cast four gold rings for the table and attached them at the four corners next to the four legs. The rings were attached near the border to hold the poles that were used to carry the table. He made these poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Then he made special containers of pure gold for the table, bowls, ladles, jars, and pitchers to be used in pouring out liquid offerings. Then Bezalel made the lampstand of pure hammered gold. He made the entire lampstand and its decorations of one piece, the base, center stem, lamp cups, buds, and petals. The lampstand had six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. Each of the six branches had three lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. The center stem of the lampstand was crafted with four lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. There was an almond bud beneath each pair of branches where the six branches extended from the center stem, all made of one piece. The almond buds and branches were all of one piece with the center stem, and they were hammered from pure gold. He also made seven lamps for the lampstand, lamp snuffers and trays, all of pure gold. The entire lampstand, along with his accessories, was made from 75 pounds of pure gold. Then Bezalel made the incense altar of acacia wood. It was 18 inches square and 36 inches high, with horns at the corners, 
carved from the same piece of wood as the altar itself. He overlaid the top, sides, and horns of the altar with pure gold, and he ran a gold molding around the entire altar. He made two gold rings and attached them on opposite sides of the altar below the gold molding to hold the carrying poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Then he made the sacred anointing oil and fragrant incense using the techniques of a skilled incense maker. So what we have here is Bezalel and Oholiab and the crew making really remarkable furnishings, artistic, ornate, beautiful. And we're starting from the Holy of Holies and going back out. Ironically, or maybe not ironically, but interestingly, the instructions that God gave to Moses started from the outside and went in. And yet, for whatever reason, how they decided to make it was in the exact opposite order. They started with the most important, uh, with the, the Ark of the Covenant, and then started working their way out. Um, but what did you hear God saying through this passage? Honestly, I'm getting nothing. <laughs> There's nothing new here. There's nothing spiritually challenging here. We've already talked about each of these furnishings when we read the instructions that God gave to Moses on the blueprints for all of this. And I think we all would have preferred the writer of Exodus to have summarized chapters 35 through 39 by simply saying, And Bezalel and Aholiab did everything the Lord asked of them exactly as God asked them to do it. Like, that one sentence, I'm pretty sure, would have captured everything, right? But instead, we get an almost verbatim repeat of chapters 25 through 30. And yesterday, Jeff walked us through the importance of seeing them follow through and obey God's instructions in detail. The people needed to hear this. But what about for us? I mean, what do you do when you've committed to a perfectly good discipline like reading through the Bible or a portion of the Bible and it gets hard, it, it gets boring, it gets tedious and frustrating? God's not talking, it's just silent. What do you do? I remember being really thrown off in some early phone conversations with Jessica, my wife now. Back then, obviously, we were still dating, getting to know each other. And I hadn't had much experience with a quiet introvert like her before. So when I ran out of stuff to say on these phone conversations, I had no idea what to do when it was just quiet on the line. I'm thinking, like, is she still there? Did she just tune out? Did she completely lose interest in me? Is she just waiting for me to hang up because she doesn't want to be the one to end the conversation? Oh, so many questions. Girls are so hard to understand, right? <laughs> As it turns out, she just liked being on the phone with me, whether we were talking or not. Her love language 
is quality time, and she just wanted to feel near me. I I didn't get that at the time, but now it makes sense because I know her, and I know that's her heart. I once heard a story told of Mother Teresa. A reporter had gone and spent time with Mother Teresa in uh, her ministry in there in Calcutta and was shadowing her through her day, got up early the next morning with her and simply watched her go through her morning prayers. But she just kind of sat there and didn't do anything. And the reporter was really curious. You know, when she was all done, after however long she had spent, she said, can I ask, what were you doing? And Mother Teresa simply said, oh, I was just listening to God. And the reporter then said, that's awesome. Like, what did he say? What did you hear? And Mother Teresa said, nothing. Well, where is God then? He was just listening to me. I think good relationships need to get to a point of that kind of comfort and security. There's complete trust and acceptance in a relationship like that, knowing all is well just listening to each other in silence. I think we also just need to trust the process sometimes. In order to get good at anything, really good, All you need is time and practice over time. Doing the same things over and over and over and over again until you get really good at it. Your body learns it. And that takes discipline, self-discipline. And it's self-discipline that carries you through the ups and downs of fluctuating emotions. I mean, I think we love to live in the the plane of subjective experiences and impressions. That feels right. It feels good. But on the whole, emotions aren't reliable. They're never steady. They come and go. So they can mislead us. And honestly, it's not a healthy place to camp out on. I mean, they're good, but they're like simple carbs. You can't lay a dietary foundation on them. I mean, wasn't it Jesus that said humans can't live on bread alone? The pursuit, the discipline, the hunger for more of God, and the journey through silence and absence and pain and disappointment and boredom will get us further in our relationship with God than the opposites ever could. It's the stuff that you never choose that cultivates real depth and character. And you know what discipline is, really? It's choosing that. That no matter what the feelings are, no matter whether it's hard or easy, you're choosing to do the same thing, the right thing, over and over again. And so we get to a discipline like reading scripture, reading through the Bible, reading through a book of the Bible. And there are parts that are long 
and boring and they don't make sense and it contradicts our modern consciences or it's just like a list of names that mean nothing to us. And you know what? Sometimes it just, it is what it is and there's nothing to be gotten from it. But I wonder if there's not something precious and special and good and character developing about going through it on purpose anyways, about making it a part of us, whether God speaks to us or not, whether we feel him or not, slowly taking our time and working through the material because it was important enough that God wanted this written down for all times. So it's a little weird to have devotional thoughts based purely on how we didn't get anything out of the passage that we were trying to get something out of. But that's kind of where my heart has been led at the moment. So I'm just going to wrap up in prayer. Lord, every day when I open your word, I ask you to speak because I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. But I've had more days like today than I'd even care to remember. And so I'm probably just reminding myself more than anything that in those days of seeming silence, when I didn't get anything out of the text, I didn't feel your presence, I didn't hear your voice or your promptings, that it's in those times that you're forming me from the inside out, in the darkness, in the struggle, in the fatigue, in the solitude. We trust that you're there. We know that you're working. And maybe we can all just be content to sit and listen to each other in the silence. Thank you, Father. Amen.